Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. with me uh, uh formerly of the discourse collective um now of uh free agent status uh my friend <laughs> and yours ian ian welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me on of course um remind me of your twitter name because I, I keep confusing it with your discord name oh it's a uh, ian imperialism ah yes much 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 cleverer than uh yeah. than your discord name which is just your name um yeah which is fine uh, honestly <laughs> Being clever on uh, Discord. I use itself. Discord for various non-Twitter things, so I like to. I, I just use my name there because it's easier for people. Honestly, like being being clever when it comes to multiplayer gaming is a uh, is a fool's errand. Oh yeah, it's it's so important, but it's so hard to do. <laughs> so, um, I'm having you on here today to talk to to us a little bit about uh, well, everyone's favorite thing when it comes to video games, which is uh, lore. Yeah. Like, I, I'm very weird with video games in that I uh, did not play a lot of them uh, growing up, but as I, um, I I grew up in a very sheltered Christian family, yada, 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 you know how it is. I didn't start really gaming until I was maybe 14 or 15, and the first game that I really dove into uh, was Borderlands 2, which was a really which had a really rewarding story that if you dug into it was really entertaining so there wasn't much lore to it but it really got me onto the idea of games that have deeper stories beyond just the you know the the main campaign or whatever you want to call it and so i've always been fascinated by the idea of uh there being of the lore almost being like an investment you can make something that uh you it's not really there if you don't look for it but when you do look for it it's there and the game rewards you for seeking out a deeper story yeah i like that idea of reward too because it it really is kind of a reward that isn't uh, i'm trying to think of the best way to say this like the game itself you know games reward via their mechanics all the time where you sort of Mm -hmm. get like um you know, little rewards like, oh, hey, you know, you you earned this spear or you get like 
ten thousand experience for doing this thing or that thing, right? And like mm-hmm. games like Destiny reward via uh, microtransactions and like fun little not microtransactions, but like fun little things that could be construed as sort of like loot boxes or whatever. Um, but it, lore kind of rewards you in a way that's extra game. Like it sort of lives outside of the game space as mm-hmm. such. Um, would you tend to agree with that, or is that yeah? Something? Yeah, I mean. The, the interesting thing about lore is that it almost it's a story and it is tied to the game inherently but at the same time uh it doesn't really require a video game for it to exist as a story because usually the best lore works as a standalone story regardless of the game but and i think yeah. we'll get into this a little later the really interesting thing about lore in uh mmos and particularly destiny is that they start to they incorporate the mechanics of the game into the story to make it i think it has a, the double reward of making the game feel more rewarding because you feel like you're really playing within the story and also making the story more interesting because you feel like you're a part of this ongoing story yeah and i think like you know i i saw something recently where someone was saying that they loved the castlevania uh TV show, right? Like uh, the, the Netflix show Castlevania. And they were saying, you know, like, where, where can I learn more about these characters? Um, I don't want to play the video games. And <laughs> Brent and I were laughing at that, like, well, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's sort of like there there is this way where, like, lore in video games is transmitted such that, like, the story itself doesn't need a video game to transmit, but the, the actual transmission of lore feels special somehow. Mm-hmm. It's a... It's 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 the most how do I say this? It's it's a really interesting like way in which uh it's definitely something that has only come around with the advent of interactive media such as video games. Like you you aren't going to get lore with uh say a movie franchise or a TV show because there's no way for you to go off and do your own thing and for you to trigger a reward system with a TV show. You just watch it. But with interactive media which I'm just using as a blanket for video games, uh, it allows you to essentially customize your own experience and almost tell your own story to use a a cheesy kind of advertising line. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, like, you know, lore on those levels reminds me in some ways of stuff that's, like, almost impossibly more nerdy, like appendices in fantasy novels or, like... Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, reading something like um, Finnegan's Wake and reading like the footnotes as you go, right? Yeah. yeah. Like s- stuff that you have to buy into on some like real level in order to get the most out of it. And like when you choose to do that, you kind of open up this weird secondary experience. But I guess like mm-hmm. the difference between that and gaming is in the game, it's like you open up that secondary experience by way of just like, I don't know, doing extra challenges or something. You have to seek it out in sort of a different way than just like, you know, opening up an extra guide or something. Yeah, exactly. It's a, how do I say this? It, I just, I I am really fascinated by the, the concept of rewarding an activity with uh, storytelling uh, as opposed to just laying the story bare and destiny has a really interesting way of going about that. Yeah, so um, talk to me a little bit about Destiny's lore, because I always feel a little lost. I'm in a clan with you. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Nominally, anyway, I am. Uh, and, and I'm also nominally anyway now, too. <laughs> but every time they talk about lore in that, I am just completely lost. So talk to me a little about Destiny's lore, because, you know, the lore that comes to me best is definitely Dark Souls lore. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, here and there, other games as well. But, like, Dark Souls, I can sort of stay afloat with. Destiny, I am lost. It is... It's such a long story. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to give a little background on the game itself first, just to provide context for why the lore is so unique. But um, when the original uh, Destiny, when when Destiny 1 came out, uh, there was almost no story in the actual game itself. There was story, you know, there were cutscenes, but it it was very loose. It wasn't really held together. It it wasn't, it it didn't have uh, like a, it didn't really have many... um, plots or subplots or like arcs that made any sense it was just like okay you're gonna go to this planet you're gonna shoot these guys now you're gonna go to this planet you're gonna shoot these guys oh you're gonna go to this planet and now there's these weird guys and they've got like a big thing that's evil and it's like a (laughs) a black heart or whatever the fuck sure uh but all of the story in that game and at, at first this was a huge complaint among the people that played it but it created the lore community as it stands today, which I think is ultimately a good thing. Uh, All of the lore was in things called grimoire cards, which you could earn by either like playing certain story or playing through the story or finding uh, little things that um, were they called? They were called dead ghosts and they were like little in destiny. Your character has a ghost that is basically like your kind of menu that lets you interface with the world and fast travel and stuff. And, um, you would go around and you would find dead ghost shells and those would give you lore cards called grimoire cards. And so all of the story, all of the real story of destiny that made any sense and all of the background on the universe was in those grimoire cards and you couldn't access them within the game. You had to go on uh, Bungie's website and it was all there. Oh, weird. So it was, it, it had this, it was a very double edged sword in that it basically meant that the game itself had almost no story and it was you could play the game without coming across uh, a story of any kind and you could play the game without ever encountering or hearing of most of the most important characters in the story but the good thing about it was that it created it allowed uh, the writers to get to just go so much more in depth in the story and create so many more details and have so many different ways to tell stories like there there are grimoire cards that are like scenes that are like little uh just vignettes short stories about different characters interacting and then there are others that are like written more like a historical text that kind of Mm. describe events uh, as they happened and there are others that describe different races that are kind of more like uh, ethnographies where they talk about oh this race is this way and this is maybe a little history on them and then, of course, there's also just straight up like character background stuff on characters that aren't in the main story, but were important figures in the history of the game's universe, like um, uh, like uh, like Osiris, for example, or um, blanking uh, Saint Fourteen, who were like these major characters who are gone, who are out of play in the game, I should okay. say, during the actual game itself, but who have slowly come back into play, which is where Destiny 2 gets really interesting with the lore because 
they got rid of the grimoire cards, but now you can read some of the lore in-game, and there's, like, lore tabs on certain items, certain exotic items, which is, like, the highest rarity in the game. Oh, cool. And uh, they did a really... They did a really interesting thing in trying to retcon a lot of the weirdness uh, of Destiny 1's lore, or a lot of the things that just felt kind of jumbled. Um, but they also did a really weird thing in trying to bring back a lot of these figures who were like major historical figures in the lore. Like the very first DLC in Destiny 2 was called The Curse of Osiris, and it brought back this character, Osiris, who was this warlock who became obsessed with uh, one of the enemy races, who's like these time traveling robots. Uh, called the Vex, and he disappeared into kind of the Vex's, uh, what do you, there are so many things in Destiny that are so hard to describe, (laughs) but he basically disappeared into the Vex's machines, Okay. uh, and in this DLC he comes back and we meet this legendary figure who we've heard so much about in the Grimoire and in the lore, uh, and we also, we also kind of encounter State 14 in there, but, um, I don't know really where I'm going. But my point is uh, that the lore in Destiny is really interesting because it has the aspect of MMO lore where it's an ongoing story and things change as new content is released. Yeah. But it's also a really, really well-thought-out universe with a ton of history to it. It reminds me in that way of, like, wow, like the the way that the world of Warcraft... And, and I mean, there's something about... This isn't quite what Destiny does, because, of course, like, Destiny was always an MMO, but there's a way in which, like, Destiny 1 had to had to at least account for the strange relationship it had with, um, you know, strange relationship it had with um, single-player games, because, of course, when it came out, the idea of a multiplayer, like, a mu- max, uh, massive multiplayer online shooter was so strange right like mm-hmm. i remember people talking about destiny being like yeah i'm doing raids now and i'm just like raids that's like a yeah. shooter is this an mmo what are you talking about <laughs> and like, yeah. now it makes sense but at the time i think like people played it as if it was uh, a you know a single player game in mm-hmm. some ways and and you could add the lore and the the, the raid stuff if you wanted to but mm-hmm. what was so interesting about i mean that's the commonality between destiny one and wow is that like you know, World of uh, World of Warcraft is, I mean, largely based off of the lore that was made up in Warcraft Three, and so like a lot of the, those story beats are strange and don't fit entirely perfectly in an MMO, but sort of are memorable as a result. I, I just like I find it really interesting that there's all this complexity and then added to a kind of technical clunkiness, which you don't see in a lot of games. Like that, that thing yeah. where you have to go to the bun- go to Bungie's website in order to access your lore. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so strange. It was a really weird, yeah, it was a really weird and not, uh, not well-received idea when it first came out, but now uh, it's like those Grimoire cards are like the Bible for the lore community because they just there was just so much that they were able to do with it right and uh i I think it's in a good state now where uh basically they have the grimoire again but it's in it's easily accessible within the game and they've made it really uh really fun and rewarding to go after the lore uh because it's 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 like hidden in all these cool little spots around the game where you can like do very specific quests in very specific ways and get lore or it, it can be like a random drop the way an item will drop um, right. So it, it was a very, with everything in Destiny, it was a very, very rocky start, but they stuck the landing. 
Now, I mean, talk to me a little bit about how people respond to lore in, in game. Like, are people generally invested in lore, or is it sort of like a niche thing? Like, if you if you group up, or if you're in like the Crucible or something, which is the for the people who don't play Destiny, like the PvP area, what like how does are are you going to find people who are interested in the lore the way say like you are in, or is that a little more uncommon? Um. It is really hard to say because mm. I, I think people surround themselves in, in Destiny. I think people surround themselves with players like themselves. Okay, uh, like right. our clan is a lot of, if you, if you, I don't know if you've played with them much yet, but it's a lot of really similar people who think about the game in really similar ways. So yeah, um, I would say that there is there is a large lore community. I here I'm gonna. I think a good way to do it, to illustrate it, would be I'm going to look at how many subscribers the lore subreddit has. Okay. Let's see. That is a good way to do it. Yeah. The lore subreddit has about 21,000 um, wow. subscribers. So it's it's out there. It's it's, it's There's a, a thriving, very large community. I don't know the actual numbers for how many people play Destiny, but... Um, it's a it's a decent chunk, but I think twenty one thousand is a, probably a pretty small niche of it. Um, most of the time, when I encounter people, it's like I, I think a good example would be pretty much every time I raid, uh, which is a, a raid is a six person activity. Uh, I will usually only encounter one or two other people who are interested in the lore and who will immediately pick up on it when I like mention something from the lore. Okay, uh, especially now that the raids are so lore heavy. Um, so yeah, it's, it's there, but it is definitely, uh, a niche. There's not, it's not like something that the entire community is invested in. Um, but again, it's, it's so well integrated into the game now that you will see a lot of like casual players bring it up. Like people are always, there's always like little things in the lore that are, have, that people have read so many times because like it's in an exotic lore tab or it's in an item that a bunch of people have. I mean, do you so, get the idea that Bungie is okay with um, the fact that the lore is niche? I mean, is that something that they want to change, or is it something that they sort of accept as part of the game? Because I like, I like the gameplay of Destiny, but a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people describe it as kind of vanilla, as kind of like, you know, I've heard like Warframe described as as like Destiny but better, and I would mm-hmm. say like I don't totally agree, and the reason I don't totally agree is because I like the lore and I like the story of Destiny, but. I would think, like, if you don't care about that, the game might feel a little more, um, I'm trying to think of the right word here, a little more, uh, generic, maybe? Uh, yeah. replaceable? Something yeah. like that. Yeah, no, I think what really drew me to Destiny, um, was the aesthetics of it, okay. and I got more and more interested in it as I discovered that there was a really deep lore behind it, but, um... Oh, Can you rephrase the question? Yeah, so I'm just, I guess I'm just wondering, like, does Bungie care? Like, does Bungie care that, people, yeah. that there's, like, maybe a large portion of their audience that doesn't care about the story they're writing? Like, you know, you, you think of a game like Dark Souls, right, where mm-hmm. the the lore itself, and this is something I've argued a lot about Dark Souls, that, like, the lore itself uh, is exists in a sort of feedback loop where you, you find the lore and it's so... Um, it's so evasive and strange that, you know, the, 
the lore itself sort of reinforces the idea that like, oh, it doesn't totally matter if you find this lore, you're never going to get the whole story. So if you mm-hmm. like the lore, great. That makes the story even more sort of um, evasive and fun to kind of try and piece together. If you don't read the lore, well, that's fine. You're just not going to understand the story, which is basically the same thing as the people who read the lore. Destiny, it doesn't seem that way. Destiny, it seems like you can understand everything about this world. You can have like a Star Trek encyclopedia style understanding mm-hmm. of this world, or you can just play it as a shooter. Yeah. And I I, um, I don't know ahead. if Destiny Sorry. does like Bungie care that there are players that do both. I That's a really interesting question, because I think that Bungie has really changed their approach to storytelling uh, since Destiny 1 first came out, because obviously they, I mean... They won't admit it, but everyone knew how terrible the story was uh, on D1 Vanilla Launch. Mm -hmm. So I think that they've done a really good job of trying to make sure that everyone is invested in the story. But if you really want to get invested in lore, they are still definitely rewarding the lore nerds uh, like myself. Um, But if you... How much of Forsaken have you played? Uh, Zero. Okay, so... (laughs) I think Forsaken is a really great example of this. And again, like how how good they've gotten at uh, divvying the story between like the the really end game heavy people who are coming back to Destiny day after day and the people who are just interested in like the story and are maybe more casual players. Um, so Forsaken uh, is Destiny's most recent DLC and it tells the story of how uh, Cade 6... Uh, one of the main uh, vanguards, which is like the, um, they're basically like the the head of the, the leadership of the the guardians. Yeah, they're, they're the effectively like the players. Justice League of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, so Cade Six is killed by Aldrin, who is uh, an Awoken prince. Who uh, the Awoken are a race that I'm gonna have to go into so much lore just to explain this. But the Awoken are a race uh, who were created when the Traveler, which is the the big ball that gives us all our powers, uh, collapsed and exploded. Okay. Well, not exploded, but like collapsed um, and shut itself down and went into a coma. Basically, uh, the Awoken were created because that re- uh, released like a pulse of energy, and it turned them. They were they were human, and now they're Awoken, and that means they have kind of. Uh, Interesting, uh, if not very well explained, um, powers and unique abilities, and they're very like, they're like light blue and pale and kind of shimmery. Um, cool. But the, their queen Marasov died while we were fighting uh, Oryx, the Taken King, and Aldrin, um, in a quest to bring her back and uh, regain power and take the Awoken throne kills Cade 6 and so Forsaken kind of takes on this uh, a lot of people compared it to a western which I really liked um, we decide to uh, go out we our guardian player uh, goes and tries to get revenge for Cade and as we chase Aldrin down we learn a little bit more about the Awoken and he also has these barons that he's hired who are like uh, big just big fallen monsters fallen or another race in the game uh, that he's kind of similar to how Oryx will take people and turn them into these uh, weird kind of darkness creatures that he controls with his mind. Uh, Aldrin kind of uh, similarly turned these fallen into big monsters that are even more evil fallen somehow. Mm. Um, 
And so the main story, the main campaign of Forsaken is us killing these barons and fighting the Scorn, which are the which is the name for the race of evil fallen that Aldrin has created. Uh, and eventually, um, I don't want to spoil it, but eventually getting <laughs> to Aldrin and uh, giving him his comeuppance. Um, but then, after that, then the story kind of it, it closes itself off. After that, you know, it's the really the, I think what they were going for, going for thematically with that is the question of you know are the guardians really the good guys? Are who can we ride that line between light and dark? Because light with a capital L and dark with a capital D are kind of the main forces in the game. Um, but after that. Uh, we are allowed into the Awoken, uh, this place called the Dreaming City, which is like basically kind of an Awoken capital city in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where all of the end game for Forsaken starts, which is a whole nother story, almost completely unrelated to the whole Aldrin and Cade thing. Because at the end of the Aldrin story, we fight this thing called the Voice of Riven. And <laughs> Riven, oh my gosh, I'm going into so much... This is this is one of the things I love about Destiny is you have to know so much just to, to know, really yeah, know the lore. About that There's in just a minute. so yeah. much going on, but um, eventually we find out that Aldrin is being tricked into believing that he can revive his sister from the dead uh, by Riven, which is an Ahamkara, and the Ahamkara are dragons that grant wishes. They're basically like genies, and um, they grant wishes, but obviously they th- their goal is to eventually trick you and try to influence you to do their bidding. So uh, there was a great, a long time ago, there was a, eventually the Guardians uh, decided that they had to kill all of the Ahamkara because they were wreaking too much havoc on the universe. So we killed all of them except for one. And that one that survived was named Riven and the Awoken uh, took her in and kept her safe in the Dreaming City. And so at the end of the uh, Forsaken main campaign, we find out that Riven has been the one that's tricking Aldrin into doing all this stuff. And then, as we go into the Dreaming City, we find out that the Dreaming City is uh, being invaded by the Taken. And we find out that Riven herself has been taken by Oryx's sister, um, whose name is escaped, uh, Savathun, because we killed Oryx, and so now the Taken are really mad at us. Um, and there's so much more going on. But basically, this, we find out that in the Awoken City, the Awoken City, uh, the Dreaming City is trapped in a time loop. Uh, because Savathun basically made a wish with Riven, who again is a wish-granting dragon. Um, and then when we kill Riven, which is the raid in the Dreaming City, right. um, that allows the Taken Curse, which is what they're calling it, Curse with a capital C, to spread across the Dreaming City. And so it's just it creates this causal loop. And so we kill Riven, the curse is released, and Riven gets taken which resets the time loop and we just keep doing that over and over. And it's like a, in, in the actual mechanics of the game, it's a three week cycle. So destiny resets every week hmm. and the time loop is a three week cycle. And so there's different activities in each of those three weeks that are based on how, like how cursed the city is eventually leading up to us going and fighting one of Zavathun's Zavathun's daughters in what's called the shattered throne. But I, what the, the point I'm trying to illustrate here is that there is a f- very uh, fine and clear line between the main story of the game and the lore in the same way that there is a fine line between 
what you can do as a casual player and what the game presents to you if you're not willing to put in the time to play the end game stuff. Right. And the players who treat it as a hobby, which is what Bungie has publicly said they want to start gearing the game more towards because they know that that's their real player base who's going to keep coming back. Uh, and like the, all the end game stuff that's really hard to do and requires you to do a lot of grinding and requires you to have a lot of knowledge of builds and such in the finer points of the game's mechanics. So I think Bungie does care, and I think they're doing a really good job of divvying up their player base so that every person who comes into Destiny has an experience that they feel works for them. Right. So again, like the concept of lore itself, you really get out what you put in. And I think they've done a really good job of making the experience one that is rewarding no matter how much you how much time and effort you're willing to put in. I mean, there's a you sort of you sort of answered one of the questions I had in in that I kind of had brewing there, which was you know, games like Destiny are so so committed to I mean, they should be this committed, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But they seem so committed to, like... I'm trying to think of how to say this. Like, the, they seem very, very committed to the idea of getting players in and not, not, not making it so that uh, it's impossible for people to... I mean, not impossible for people to actually, like, buy their game and start playing it. I mean, it's an MMO, right? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. It's it's the kind of thing where you want, as a company, to have a product that people get a lot out of and, and have endgame content and stuff for the hardcore players and then stuff that just, like, brings people in. And so, like, World of Warcraft, for instance, solves this by um, having these events, right? Like, the sort of, like, reboot of every time, right? The Battle for Azeroth being the most recent one. But every two years, it seems to be, like, this new reboot every year or so, whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, Destiny seems deeper and also is kind of bound to this old console way of working whereby you have Destiny 1, Destiny 2. At some point, ostensibly, there will be Destiny 3. Mm-hmm. How does it balance that? Because, I mean, you'd, you'd think inevitably it would spiral towards. And, I mean, you, you sort of lay out a way that they, they do that where, like, it's fun for everyone. But, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you how do you produce a game like Destiny without people looking at it and saying, like, I don't have time to do that. Like, I, I just can't do that. I don't have the time to put in to become good at yeah. this game or to, to figure it all out. I just just pass, you know? Yeah. I think that that is probably the biggest challenge that they have because um, unlike WoW, Destiny really is always, as much as they kind of retconned uh, D1 lore when uh, Destiny 2 Vanilla came out, um, they are now continuing to build upon uh, all of the previous stories. So, like, as you asked that question, I I was thinking, one of my friends texted me the other day, like, hey, Destiny 2 is free on PC. Should I get it? And I was thinking, like, okay, I've never played Destiny 1. I have no knowledge of the lore. How do I feel going into Destiny 2? And probably what most people are doing is immediately starting with Forsaken because, frankly... uh, Destiny 2 Vanilla and the first two DLCs are not that great. They're, okay. they're just, they're okay. There, there's, some lore, there's some interesting lore there, but uh, the people who um, the people who come in, who came in with Forsaken are getting the best deal. Um, Forsaken really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
uh, if you don't really have a knowledge of the games uh, of like the basic story concepts of the game, because uh, you know you have to understand who the Vanguard are, you have to understand who Cade is, you have to understand who Aldrin is. Because honestly, I think Aldrin is kind of a shitty villain if you don't have like if you have no knowledge of where he comes from and what he has been in the past. Sure. Um, he was originally going to be, and this is another major thing about Destiny, is Destiny uh, got scrapped. Like, Destiny 1 got basically scrapped and rewritten six months before its original release and was going to be a completely different game with a much different story. Um, recently, I read that, that they were going to make the Traveler the villain, but that's a, a whole other wow. thing. Uh, basically, uh, Aldrin was supposed to be a major character in Destiny 1, and he was not. Um, but again... It's really, I, I do think that they are going to struggle uh, going into the next DLC and going into Destiny 3 if they want to keep going down the road they're going, which I hope they do because that will keep their player base that they currently have if they're satisfied with that. Um, it will be hard to get new people into it because the story is going to require, it's going to require so much backstory. Yeah. Because, like, for example, the, the, the whole story with Oryx in Destiny 1 um, is the whole reason he even shows up in our universe is because we killed his son in the first Destiny 1 DLC, which is kind of like, okay, it doesn't really... If you haven't played that DLC and you jumped into that with the Taken King, which was that DLC where Oryx showed up, it it doesn't seem to be that rewarding of an experience to me. I I haven't played it from that perspective because I've, I've been there since uh, Destiny 1 Vanilla, so maybe I'm not the one to ask. Right. But... I definitely can see that being a challenge for a game like Destiny and a game that tells its story the way Destiny does going forward. But there, there's really nothing that can be said until we see how many people stick around after Forsaken, I think, mm-hmm. and how many people come in with the next big DLC for Destiny 2. That makes sense. I mean, do you think do you think they are... I guess the other way of asking this, and then we can, we can jump to other lore or, or whatever yeah. you want to talk about... Um, I mean, is there any way to talk, is there any way to ask, like, you know, you said, uh, that these, that they're trying to effectively, um, make it more for people who would use it as a, a kind of like hobby, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're interested in, in the hobbyists. Um, yeah, in the, in the people like you and me who are going to come back and, and treat it the way people treat MMOs as opposed to the way people treat just a regular old shooter. Right, right, right. So, I mean, what, how are they doing that? Like, is it possible to, to, to create that? Or is, or is that just, is that just lip service? I think it's absolutely, I think that they're doing it with Forsaken and it's really hard to describe, but I think when you play it, when you start playing around in uh, the, the Forsaken end game, um, it's, it's a little easier to understand if you've played it, but They've done a really interesting thing with that endgame and with that lore that I didn't really go into in detail. Okay. Uh, the, the I mentioned like that there's there's this whole three week cycle that it's on that in the lore is based on this curse that the that Savathun has put on the city through w- making a wish with the the wish dragon Riven, and it's the first time that and you would think that they would have done this earlier, but it's the first time that. Um, there are activities that are explicitly tied to the story that change uh, with uh, the weekly reset. Oh, okay. So they've done a much better... It's it's a very... 
it's new and it's unfortunate that it's new because they really should have been doing this from day one but they've done a really good job of and they've, they're getting much better at tying the lore and the story to the actual gameplay so that you feel like you're playing part of the story instead of just uh, doing, an act, doing an activity right, so okay. to speak so like it, for example there are strikes which are like basically just story missions that you replay with a group of three and you get certain rewards out of like grinding them out and there's like a playlist and there's like I think eight or nine different strikes now but with the Dreaming City and with this three week cycle uh, the lore is constantly changing at the end of every cycle you go and you talk to Marasov who's the queen who's obviously not dead because nobody ever <laughs> nobody ever dies in Destiny <laughs> that is like the main rule the only person who we're pretty sure is actually dead is Cade Right. Um, so and at, they couldn't the afford of, Nathan Fillion anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. They had um, who was it? They had Nolan North voice him in Forsaken, which oh, was a real really. Uh, he, he didn't do a bad job, but it was it was it was kind of a shame to not have Nathan Fillion do it when he had been doing it for so long. Um, it's odd. But yeah. But my uh, back to the example I was using is you you go and talk to the Queen at the end of each three week cycle, and the thing is, even within those three week cycles, things are changing because the characters in the game are aware of the causal loop and they're trying to break it. And so every time at the end of each three weeks, we've been going and talking to the queen and she has a different voice line every, not different. She's a different, a whole different set of dialogue every time. And the throne room that we go into has a lot of different stuff going on in it each time. Mm -hmm. So there's been, uh, for example, I think this was the second or third um, three week cycle. We went in and there was a little hologram of these pyramids on there which have been huge in the lore because everyone is pretty sure that they are the the ships of the capital D darkness which is apparently an actual race that we're eventually going to meet uh, that was teased at uh at after the end credits of the Destiny 2 vanilla campaign and then uh I think in the most recent 3 week cycle she was speaking with uh the emissary of the nine and the nine I was actually just reading about them because the lore on the Nine is fascinating. Um, the Nine are this just kind of entity. We're not really sure if it's a group of things. We're not really sure if they're people. We're not really sure if they're robots or objects or planets. We're just we just know that they're called the Nine, okay. and they have an emissary who comes and talks to us. And uh, the activity associated with them is a, a PvP activity called. Trials of the Nine, where you and four and three other people try to win um, nine competitive games in a row, and when you win nine competitive games in a row, you go to this special place and get some special rewards. It's called going flawless. Um, Is it hard? It sounds hard. It's extremely hard. I have only ever done it once, and I don't want to say I'm a good PvP player, but I'm like a fairly experienced one, and I have skills. Like I. It's it's hard as fuck. You gotta have you gotta have a great team. You gotta have a lot of communication. You can have great players on a team and still not do very well at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, so it, it's one of the it's one of the best activities that they've come up with because it is just so rewarding, but also incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the so in the most recent three week cycle, she was talking to the emissary of the nine and doing a little bit of a tease on like oh are we going to meet the nine soon are they coming are they... so there's just a lot of 
they've been doing a much better job of incorporating the lore into the game and incorporating the lore into the actual gameplay and like allowing us to really interact with the story it feels less like this static thing where we just do these story missions over and over again and grind and grind and grind and more like an ongoing story that we get to play right and more like a a living breathing universe so i mean let me ask you and, and this is maybe the the million dollar question about lore like i'm sure some people listening have just like kind of checked out because they're not as interested in it. Some, most people probably yeah. are not checked out because like, it it's is so hard stuff. to describe. Like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, no, no. I mean like there's, you have to, you have to describe like a million things just to describe the first thing. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. Um, and I don't, you know, that's, that's no, that's no dig against you. That's just kind of like, no, the, I get the it. Nature I get it. of the beast. Yeah. So like, I think like one of the things that people tend to ask about, I mean, and, and it's something that's been asked about, like, you know, if you learned about the ships in Star Trek or if you learned about like, you know, what uh, if you just like spend a ton of time learning about trains or whatever, like people ask like, well, trains, not not so much because like you can use that. But like anything, anything fictional, like if you learned Elvish or whatever. Right. Like and and this is this is a question that I'm not asking uh, angrily because I've certainly spent my time learning stuff like this quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But the question that everyone asks, and I'm wondering what your answer to is, is like, why don't you learn something useful with all this time? Like, why don't you go ahead and learn <laughs> about like. Russian literature or like yeah. you know learn learn no, uh, right. I, learn mandarin or something like what what is it about yeah. lore that like that is rewarding enough that you that you spend this much time uh figuring it out and refiguring it out and like decoding yeah. it and stuff This is a I guess this this is going to be an answer that's unique to me because I've always been fascinated by lore even non-video game lore mm-hmm. uh, ever since I I grew up uh, in my avi uh is is you know a little bionicle mask I grew up on bionicle and the lore on Bionicle was not similar to a video game lore, but it was vast. It was there was so much to learn there because they had a really great writer behind all of it, writing like books and stories and movies and stuff. Yeah, I've noticed that about um, Bionicle. I've, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I know nothing about it, but uh, um, like you see it pop up every so often because, um, well, I do because I have a kid, and like not mm-hmm. she doesn't she's not interested in it necessarily, but like she's too young and she also doesn't like scary stuff. And I think that would probably scare her on some level. Um, yeah, yeah. cause four year olds are scared by weird things, but like, yeah. um, but it looks like there's like a ton of stuff going on with it. Like it's massive. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I personally just love getting into, into multimedia stories like that, mm-hmm. that really, uh, just are insanely deep and reward you for going deeper and deeper and doing all this research. Um, so I'm just a nerd. So I love it because I'm a nerd. But <laughs> I genuinely think, uh, to speak to Destiny specifically, I really do think that there is a really interesting story at the heart of it. And what I haven't gotten to talk about yet is just the... Go ahead. <laughs> there's... It's such a complex universe. There are There's not only, like, characters and stories, but there's also like philosoph there, there's philosophy to it there's uh for example the everything is so the way the universe works is this is so hard to describe because i am not a philosophy person well yeah give, give it a go give it the, a go the, the physics and the um the way people and beings interact with the universe uh it, a good word to you, the, the way that the Guardians are described is paracausal beings, being, uh, beings that can affect the, the flow of the universe and 
in in a lot of ways like time itself Mm -hmm. uh time is kind of an interesting theme in the game because it can be played with so weirdly uh but uh to give a good example there's a thing in the game called the sword logic which is basically like this form of i guess the best way to describe it would be a form of magic but uh the hive one of the main enemies in the game uh run on this thing called a sword logic where they have a worm They, they worship these worm gods there are I'm going to eight or nine of them. I can't remember. Don't worry. No Uh, one's going to fact check you. Yeah. Um, But they worship these worm gods. And in order to feed these worm gods and stay alive, they have to constantly be killing and murdering and destroying. And that's called, that's the sword logic is they have to be the strongest being in the universe. Um, And so that creates some interesting story implications for the fact that we ourselves as guardians are constantly killing and destroying uh the hive themselves and so this form of this magic almost uh there's actually okay this is this is a good way to illustrate it so there's magic in the game and there's these magics that have these really interesting uh underpinning rules and physics to them that are not like I guess the best way to describe it would be uh, almost theology. Okay. There's a the, the the lore on the hive reads like theology. There there's a their Bible is basically it's called the Books of Sorrow, and it's how like Oryx and his sisters met the worm gods and got their power. Um, but there's a really cool bit in the latest raid where you're fighting. Um, I believe it's the Cali fight. You go and you're fighting this this ba- this. Uh, this woman who's basically like a who's a, a what's called a techian which is basically a technology witch which is she can do like magic and stuff and like all the cool awoken she's got all the cool awoken powers but she also is really good with technology so the blend of technology and magic is there too it's really interesting mm-hmm. um, but there's this bit where it's it's a it's a white mechanic it's a glorified white mechanic but you're doing dps and you're doing all this dps and then she kind of like holds her arms out and she summons like this glowing orb above her head. And in the chat, in the little log, which is like, which like shows like where people die and stuff, it says, Kali conceives an ontological weapon, mm. which is just, it's really cool to me that the game wants to speak to these much deeper uh, scientific and philosophical concepts of like what an ontological weapon is. Like, what that, yeah, that sounds. Right insane like i don't know how to describe that like there's just so much what's well, i mean so it, i guess it's a weapon yeah. that implies being right like it's yeah exactly yeah. so what's so fascinating to me is that uh unlike a lot of other universes where it's just a story and there's characters there's a there's a philosophy and there's a whole it's it's almost like you have to learn it's a completely other unit it's an it's a completely other dimension you have to learn a new kind of physics and you have to learn new new types of science and you have to learn new philosophical rules and new ways in which like time and space function Mm. which is really interesting to me and i think that whatever the bungee whatever the writers are getting paid it's not enough because (laughs) they've conceived a story that is they've conceived such a high concept sci-fi story that it's it, it really is almost impossible to understand. Like it, it really, I, I do think it's on par with some of the best sci-fi uh, out there, like William Gibson and stuff, because it, it just, it does such a good job of 
getting to the heart of science fiction and asking these really complex questions of not only science, but theology and philosophy and human nature. Well, so, I mean, let me ask you a, que- a personal question then. Like, what mm-hmm. does it does it annoy you that, certain, that people aren't artists into the lore? I mean, there's all this stuff going on that, like, totally makes the game for you in a certain way, right? And I know mm-hmm. that, like, when I play games that have a lore or that, like, I feel like the story really adds something to, which, I mean, I will I will admit is is... I would say those games are few and far between for me. I don't. I don't really feel mm-hmm. like most games have a good story. I mean, I actually. Oh, absolutely. I actually don't mind the the vanilla story so far in in Destiny Two. I like that. I like that it sort of it's clever that it has the the thing where you know it explains. Oh, you know you you uh, now that these like much this this war race is here and they 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 kind of uh, screwed up the traveler. Uh, as because of that, you uh, you no longer are able to just like guardians can die now. And I, I thought I thought that mm-hmm. like a that introduction of like well okay why is there why do we have this halo logic of like you died and you respawn or like you get hurt and you hide behind a rock and you get better. Obviously, that's something that has been there for a while, but it was new to me. Mm-hmm. I did like that it sort of introduced mortality to the universe in that way. I thought that was cool. Yeah, but yeah, I was. Mm, I was talking in the Discord with some of our clanmates, and, and we were just talking about how, like, in, the, in a lot of little lore cards, they talk about how, like, fucked up it is that we can just, that in the game's story, that respawning is part of the game's story. And so, basically, the Guardians are just, like, these undead killing machines who just die and get back up and, like, experience all of the, the horrible pain of dying yeah. countless times. And it's almost comical. And they even they even mention that in, like, the, they mention that in the, um... In the game itself, where they're just like, they'll be like, yeah, I, I ran into, I can't, I can't remember her name, I won't lie, but, um, like, it's, it's one of the, one of the three in the, Cade, and then there's Zavala, and then there's a third. Ikora. Yeah, Ikora. So, you meet Ikora again, and she basically says, like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it. I, I'm, I'm too cowardly, I, 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 I worry, like, I, I didn't act before now, because, like, I don't want to like actually die um yeah. yeah that was a that was i love that bit that was a really interesting yeah story moment. and it's like oh yeah of course like of course like if you actually ran into anyone like this is why of course like people get funny about games like you know battlefield or 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 call of duty or whatever where like you can respawn like the idea is like well you can't respawn if you're actually being shot at like you know any mm-hmm. like you if 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 the israel if the israelis fire a rocket into a palestinian camp um those people aren't going to respawn like you can't come back yeah but of course yeah. you can if you're a guardian because that's what guardians do that's what makes them guardians yeah so it's like it's it's this it's this fascinating mix and i mean that's that goes to your point like it's it's a philosophical underpinning it's asking like okay so like what is what what is the what is the cost of of this game mechanic we've introduced, which is pretty cool? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, like, do you like do you, do you does it bother you that people don't care about that? Like, does it does it ever bug you or like make you make you frustrated that you're like the, that so much is going on in this game, that, um, and a lot of people could care less? Not particularly. Right. I don't know. That's that's um, charitable. I think it's a you. good. It's, <laughs> I'm a fairly easygoing person. No, um, it's like a, honestly, like, we've talked so much about the lore, but the, it really is just a D20 
at this point in its uh, in its history, uh, it's a good game. Mm. You know, it's it's really fun to play. Like I wouldn't, I would not be. T- I mean, I would still be interested in the lore, but I wouldn't be you know as deep as I am in it if it if there weren't like fun gameplay. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I, and that was that's always been kind of how Destiny goes. Is the core mechanics of it are great. It is a great shooter. The uh, they made their own engine and it works really fucking well and it's really smooth and it's just you know yeah i don't fault people at all for not getting into the story because you know it's time consuming enough to just enjoy playing the game um so what comes first i mean is it is like this here's the here's the sort of uh question from a game's discourse perspective like does Mm -hmm. does story come first or does gameplay come first a lot of people have like force their way through a lot of really terrible stories in order to like, or I'm sorry, a lot of really terrible, well, I guess both a lot of really terrible yeah. stories to play fun games. Uh, you know, like I, I laughed at, uh, what's his name saying that, uh, Cliffy B saying that gears of war was like an Iraq war, um, metaphor and like how, yeah, not no, even I Iraq war. It. it was a go- It was, it was a desert storm. Like he, he was saying it was a, <laughs> Metaphor for the 1992 uh, Bush Senior uh, War against Saddam Hussein, oh proxy war against Saddam Hussein. Um, like, okay, I guess, like, if you want to say that, but Gears of War was a game that I enjoyed very much in spite of its story. Like, I played that game and, and really had fun with it, but, like, the story was humiliating. Like, it, it truly was one of those games, like, if I if I thought anyone was around, I wouldn't play, because, like, it just was humiliating to, to tell people, yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm playing this... Playing this game where muscle guys yell and they like they talk about <laughs> it's how such a hyper masculine game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But like, it's a game that thrives despite its story. I would say, um, mm-hmm. and there's plenty of games that have wonderful stories and are just like complete slogs. Um, I'm thinking mm-hmm. like it, it's it's not quite fair because it's kind of a brilliant game and it's gameplay too. But it's certainly not known for its gameplay. It would be like. Deadly Premonition. Like, people complain about how clunky Deadly Premonition is, but they still play it because the gameplay, or because the story is so interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think is more important? I, I guess that's kind of maybe an unfair question, but I'm, I'm interested in your thought. Like, is it more important to have a good story and then come back for the gameplay, or is it more important to have the gameplay and then come back for the story? I... Are you talking about just in the... In, in general? Yeah, let's or talk in, in general. Case of Destiny. Okay. Um, I am, I am fairly new to video games criticism, uh, because I have, I very rarely, I'm a console player. I'm, I'm what most people, what most of your listeners would probably consider a casual gamer. Uh, so I only, hopefully none I of my listeners are calling people casuals. That would be, <laughs> be a shame. Um, but so video games criticism is very new to me because I don't get the opportunity to play a lot of games that like, uh, stand up to criticism of the level that like film or literature do okay um which is just it's a new medium i'm not saying anything that games are like a bad medium i'm just saying like it's new it's not at that level yet um so i really am interested i know it's kind of a meme among video games critics but the the concept of the ludo narrative Uh is really interesting to me sure like the idea of marrying uh gameplay mechanics to to story so I think if you want to ask that question, you have to decide whether or not uh, what kind of art video games are, or if they are art at all. If they are art, then I think if if you want to treat them as an art form, which I think that they 
ought to be. They're mm-hmm. they're a new art form, certainly, but I think that they are an art form. Yeah, they're clumsy. Um, they're, yeah, but I, you know, yeah. I I would agree with you. I, I mean, mean it, that's certainly uh, you know it's certainly what I try to do. I, I like to compare it to like the most recent example is like early cinema. It's it's still very clunky and like a lot of it is very DIY and no one really knows what they're doing yet. But there's a few people out there who like who are just absolute geniuses who know how to marry gameplay to story and make that and make you feel like you're engaging with a medium that can tell you a story in a way that a book or a movie or a piece of music can't. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess uh, to say, to be very idealistic about it, I want to say that I think that it should be both. I think that, uh, I, I think for a video game to live up to its true potential as a piece of art, it has to have both um, good gameplay and good story, and hopefully gameplay that uh, is part of the story and makes you feel makes you feel like a part of the story and also tells the story, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so here's the question I'm sure a lot of people will roll their, roll their eyes at, but I'm interested in what you have to say about it since you said like you're new to video games. Which means, like, if you were interested in lore before, um, you were drawing off of this in, in a certain way. Like, what's your take on, like, nerd culture in general? Like, it, oh, a, a truly, you know, rec- a, not recently, but maybe always, a toxic space in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, a space that relies on, like, on lore, and particularly lore used as gatekeeping um, in yeah. ways that I think neither of us would like. Um like, how do you have you ever sort of related to that? And I'll 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 open by saying certainly I have in the past. Like there have been times where I've thought of myself as like a nerd or whatever. Like it's it's not it's not hard to do. I guess I'll say yeah. Um, but as you are, how do you how do you how do you relate to nerd culture in that way? I mean, is it something that you relate to at all? I would definitely I mean I, I said it earlier I would definitely consider myself uh, a nerd I'm somebody who gets into things that are stereotypically nerdy I, I you know I'm, I'm a big I'm a big film nerd that was the whole that was my whole job on, on Discourse Collective I've been recently playing a lot more video games because now I don't have Wi-Fi anymore so I've mostly been playing a lot of like single player games that I really want to like get some kind of fulfillment out of as, as pieces of art um, but I'm kind of it's so comical to me the idea the the way in which nerd culture operates now where it's it's become so political that it's it's become um it's become a part of the discourse of, of victimhood and the idea that nerds sure. are somehow victims of some sort of greater societal conspiracy to take things from them um, yeah the right that which, they're like a dis, they're a uh, somehow a, a disenfranchised class yeah yeah and especially now, the way in which we use um, nerd thing, nerdy things, and being a nerd have become like a cultural symbol. And also, certain things that nerds consume have become uh, have become signifiers of one's politics. So, yeah, I guess what interests me is that it's such again, it's it's such a new concept, and I, I really am curious to see like if it becomes like a just a if it becomes just a cultural thing or if eventually and we're starting to see it a little bit you know with like 4chan and stuff if if these people eventually start to have if 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 nerd culture starts to have an effect on uh on history on on the world around it mm. beyond just you know 
saying mean things on the internet. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, I've never like identified with nerd culture. I've always considered myself a nerd, but I've never like, I've never fallen in with like a group of nerds and been like, oh, this is my identity. Like I'm a, I'm a nerd and this is what my life is about. Like, no, I just, I like the things that I like. Yeah. You know, that makes me kind of a nerd. I don't know. Um, hmm. But yeah, nerd culture, it's, I am no expert in it. It is very hard to <laughs> talk about it. But I Fair will enough. say one of my one of my friends from Discourse Collective, RS Benedict, uh, her a little bit about how like uh, you know nerds are bad and jocks are good now because you know nerds are like uh, saying saying really shitty things on the internet and doing racist memes and stuff and among other horrible things and incel culture and all that and you know jocks are now like kneeling for the national anthem that was always that bit was always funny to me because it's there's a little bit of a grain of truth to it you know the the nerds have become have been uh have been (laughs) infected with reaction yeah uh, in a way and jocks the the purity uh, the purity of heart that uh quote-unquote jocks have has become weaponized in kind of the opposite way in the way that athletes are now a a lot of professional athletes because a lot of them are black and come from poor areas uh have at least a a small understanding of the way uh capital marginalizes them so i it's just it's it's an interesting it's an interesting pendulum to watch and I think it is a pendulum because I think it will, it, it's, it's going to swing a lot of different ways. And I don't think it's mm. ever going to settle. I don't think nerds are ever going to be like a monolith who, who, uh, who vote or act one way. Mm-hmm. I, I think it can change. I, I think that, and maybe that's idealistic of me, but I, I definitely think that nerd culture can. Well, can I mean, it, a lot. it's, it, it's either idealistic or, or, um, it might, it might also be like, terrifying because of course you don't know how it's going to change right yeah it always change obviously things are are looking pretty bleak right now so sure of course and i mean it's it's not untrue that nerd culture was what spawned i mean rs is right about this she's right like to say that like nerd culture has gained reaction but like nerds have have always been sort of bastions of reaction historically in Mm -hmm. in that like you know the nazi party are a bunch of nerds Mm -hmm. um i mean you look at you're at least like the leadership like it's they were they were uh, they were just like they were into like the occult and like you know yeah. ooh, like uh, this this uh, this occult text will help us will help us take power in Europe and it's pure nerd stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think to be a nerd, there has to be at least a little bit of an understanding of, of power. Yeah, uh, because yeah, not because you know they're victims and because they're you know they're bullied and and society doesn't love them, but because uh, to be a nerd is to be at the very least, a, a curious person. And curious people always eventually find out how power structures work in one way or another, whether it's, you know, this totally immaterial idea of how they're being oppressed by, you know, liberals and, and all that, or if they have a, if they come to the actual understanding of materialism and understand class and all that. So, I don't know. It'll be, it, it's... It's so weird to me the way in which, because I, I like I like how you talked about how it's how it's gatekeeping because it's so much like being a nerd is all about uh, to me all about knowledge and treating knowledge as power and so I think that if I think nerds can a nerd can be a good thing you know like you and I are nerds and mm-hmm. I, I ultimately I, I think that what 
and you know podcasting is a force for good but no i think that like uh <laughs> it can be good in a way you need nerds in order for your society to function and so i what i would really hope is that uh people who function that way and people who think that way uh nerds so to speak um there's revolutionary potential there mm-hmm. it's just very hard to unlock it because there's not a lot of nerds out there teaching other nerds how to not be reactionary. Yeah, that's interesting. So let me ask you one last question, and then I'll let you go off on whatever whatever lore you'd like um, <laughs> uh, for 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 closing for closing thoughts. Um, I mean, can lore provide that thought? I think like there are arguments that uh, certain lore in certain games. Uh, let's let's not even be uh, esoteric here. Let's, I, I can mm-hmm. like. Because you can argue it in Dark Souls, and and uh, the the person who made this next game that I'll talk to uh, talk about has uh, suggested this with Dark Souls in some ways. Um, but like, take something like Night in the Woods, right? Like Night in the Woods mm-hmm. is absolutely a game about socialism. Yeah. Um, and Scott openly says it's a game about socialism. <laughs> so yeah, you know, in that, like, in that, like, the, you know, there is lore, so to speak, in Night in the Woods. You learn about like all the stuff that happens in the town. There's there's all sorts of like sub histories that you don't even need to know. They don't, you know, explicitly have to do with May and her friends and even don't explicitly have to do with what happened to her friend Casey, which is sort of like the the underlying subplot of the game. Like mm-hmm. that's lore, right? Like yeah. and the the way that that lore works is it opens up stuff about being leftist. Like it opens up stuff like okay, um you know, one piece of lore is uh, these these workers killed their bosses in a mine strike. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, like, why did they do that? And you read the newspaper article and it's like, oh, yeah, it's because uh, they were treated terribly. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. Do you think lore has any sense, like, because it involves such a deep dive, because it involves such, like, a, a personal and, like, I don't know, like, a, a kind of, like, commitment. I mean, mm-hmm. do you think there's any sort of, like, potential for, for talking about I don't know, leftism or materialism yeah. or however you want to imagine it for, in lore. For pedagog- ped- ped- pedagogy. Pedagogy, yeah, pedagogy. sure. That's yeah, a good pedagogy. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Never been able to pronounce that word. But um, Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it depends on how pretentious you want to be. I mean, I always yeah. want to be super pretentious, so I say goji. <laughs> goji, But uh, you can like say that. goji, too. It's a little cleaner. Yeah. Um, my theory nerd friends are going to jump down my throat for this, but I have been reading uh, a lot of Brecht lately, and so I'm uh, really interested. If in your theory the... nerd friends are going to jump down your throat for reading Brecht, you need new theory nerd friends. <laughs> no, uh, I I am I'm a disgusting aesthete, and I'm I'm obsessed with the idea of aesthetics uh, and how be. aesthetics can change the way we think. And <laughs> Wait, so hang on. I really are people like... really upset about this. That was my dissertation. Not really. <laughs> um, but I am really interested in the idea of uh, pedagogy. I, I'm really mm. interested in the way in which we can tell stories in a way that will make people uh, consider their surroundings and think about them differently and change their, at, at the heart, at, make them change their minds and make them, you know, make them more revolutionary, make them more open to the idea of revolution. So I absolutely think that there's potential there for that, but it requires... Um, I mean, it's it's an ongoing. It, it's such a it's such a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's potential for it, but the only game and to, to keep it to video games, the only game that I've seen really do it um, is Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. So I think that, and obviously, you can't make something revolutionary without 
having revolution in mind. So what we do, if it's going to happen, it's going to require more Night in the Woods is more, more Scott Benson's and more people, the other people who created uh, Night, in the, Night in the Woods, Bethany Hockenberry and Alec Aloka. Uh, it's going I'm glad to require you knew who they people. were. I was going to say it, but... I you, just you. remember. But um, it's going to require more people like them, and I think that they're out there, but uh, it's just, you know, it's it's hard to get that kind of stuff made because the <laughs> the the gaming yeah. market's not exactly open to that kind of thing so it's it's going to take uh, a lot of really skilled people and those really skilled people also have to be really um politically intelligent people which is uh, a hard combination to find a lot of the time so yeah it's going to take a, a massive effort and it is going to require um a cultural revolution, almost. Hmm. Yep, seems true. So I think there's, but I think it's totally possible. Uh, it's just hard. Uh, it's really hard. <laughs> well, I mean, then let's not do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I I like that answer. Uh, so so hit me up. I mean, I know you did some deep dives, deep dives earlier today on lore. I don't wanna I don't wanna make those for naught. Hit me mm-hmm. hit, like what are what are some of the things that you feel like we didn't hit on that that are just like good good lore facts good like oh man um I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out some of the funnier ones because okay. I they're, they're like the the one of the great things about Destiny lore is that they've gotten really good at just like they're just having fun with it too the writers just like to have fun um, there's some really funny bits uh, in there about like about the respawn concept about the respawn mechanic uh, I really love the ones where like like guardians are trying like the ghosts are kind of how do I say this? I, I was talking about this in the Discord, if, if you looked over uh, that earlier. Um, in the clan Discord. Uh, but I, it's really funny to me the way in which uh, non-Guardians, and even the ghosts, interact with the Guardians. Because, like, the writers of the lore are aware of all of, like, the little dumb things that we do. <laughs> and so... Um, one of one of our friends uh, was was talking about uh, how like a, a, like a civilian was studying the guardians and was and was like doing like kind of trying to figure out what they do when they're not doing out you know going to war and they were talking about how like they just dance sometimes in groups sometimes by themselves sometimes they just dance at each <laughs> other and that's obviously like a reference to all of the various emotes that we have that we are yeah. are constantly doing at each other because it's really fun. <laughs> Like, that's one of the... If you've talked with some of our clanmates, uh, we all love uh, just messing around with different emotes and making it, like, look silly. Because sometimes there's a weird mechanic where you can, like... Some emotes will generate, like, a hologram. And mm. so that hologram doesn't go away when you transition into another emote. Oh, so that's great. it's really fun. So sometimes what people will do is there's one where you, like, pull out a little holographic chicken and you kind of pet it. And there's also a dab. So what uh, <laughs> what the... <laughs> What our clan has really enjoyed doing is the chicken dab, where you pull the chicken out and then you dab, so that you're like holding a chicken and dabbing. Oh, it's that's really funny. it's it's so stupid, but it's just so funny. Um, and the lore um, people wrote about it. that's great. Yeah, no, it's so it's so the lore people are super cool. They are very aware of the player base, and it's really fun in that sense. And then um, there's all of the extreme. They're also very horny. There is so much weird, not like weird sex shit, but there's like a lot of really funny, um, not, not even funny, but there's actually like some very serious romances in the lore. But the really funny part is, is that pretty much every romance in the lore is gay. So the oh. running joke among lore nerds is like, 
so which Destiny characters are straight? Because there's, like, a ton of gay romance in there. There's, like, there's only one lore card that's about uh, straight people having sex, and it's a really funny one because it's, um... I won't go into details on it, but there's just... It's, it's, uh, it's really funny to me that there's only one straight couple in the lore. Um, that is funny. Else. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's just... It's such a rewarding experience, and they're, they're, it's funny, it's... It's, it's, it's just a good story. It, it, I laughed. I cried. It moved me. <laughs> well, I, I thank you for sharing some of it with us. I think, like, there, there's something about Destiny that both, like, attracts and repels so many people, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, feels like a... it feels like the ultimate game that is just, like, people love to hate. People love to love. It's just, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it never feels in Destiny as if, like, there's a, there's a, a, a consistent take uh people i I always Mm -hmm. find people who are like this game sucks or this game is the best game i've ever played and everyone should be playing it Mm -hmm. it just feels like honestly it's it's almost like a a shifting signifier depending on who you talk to about it and that's partially because bungie is really bad at balancing (laughs) like that's one of the that's one of the main flaws of the game in my opinion is uh bungie is really really bad at balancing pvp so there's always a very strict meta not ah. like that strict. Like if the, the more skilled you are, the more you can play with it. But like, if 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 you go into the the stats section of our Discord, you'll notice that like the the meta that you can check is pretty static. It doesn't change except for like w- with major updates when new weapons are brought into the game. Mm. Um. So yeah, I think that I think that contributes to the the way that the landscape uh, never feels like it's consistent because. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the balancing is really weird and they're constantly fucking it up <laughs> which is honestly part of the fun of it for me like the, a lot of people are, sure. are very nostalgic about like destiny one days when um there were certain guns that just were absolutely game-breakingly op like you know you were you were two tapping people oh it's such a you're right it is such a such a weird lightning rod of a game well, I, I no, but I appreciate you telling us about the the lore because like there's something very very real about why that would appeal, right? Like there's something very real to me about okay, I get it. Like there's there's a there's a heart there that is just very 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 cool and like very fun, and I I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. And you don't yeah. hear so much about that as uh, as you hear about like you know, oh, the game is, like, a crummy version of this, or, like, I don't like mm-hmm. this element of it, or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. it feels like feels like people are very, very willing to talk about the parts they hate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, this, if you, the, this, the Destiny, the actual subreddit for the game, not the lore subreddit, but the main subreddit, uh, is kind of a dumpster fire, because it's mostly just people, like, telling Bungie to do this, or telling Bungie to fix that, or telling Bungie, oh, I want to do this this Awful. way instead of this way. It's just... That sucks. It's... it's I mean, it's it's understandable because it's like a flaw. I mean, there's flaws to it. It's a it's a it's a very very new type of game that really hasn't been done before, so it's understandable that it's got some issues. Um, but you know, it's more fun if you just kind of go with the flow because they've really gotten into a they've gotten into a good rhythm, mm-hmm. and so it, it's it's now something fun to play without a lot of the frustration that used to come with yeah. D one and even all the way up into Destiny two vanilla. That's cool. I like that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, with that said, I, uh, uh, I guess that's, I, I'll, I'll let you go. This has been, this has been fun. I've loved, I've loved learning about this game. I love getting to just spill about lore. 
Well, let's do it again soon, uh, and let's 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 play D two soon. Oh, absolutely! I am cool. gonna figure out a way to get Wi Fi to my house or a place to play very soon. <laughs> it's it's killing me. I miss all my clan mates. It's so brutal. Much. It's They're, brutal to uh, hear about. I, I feel terrible yeah. for you. All right. Well, Ian, uh, thanks for being on. You can follow Ian at Ian Imperialism uh, at Ian Imperialism on on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure you can just ask for his Discord if you play Destiny. Um, oh yeah. And, Join our uh, clan if you're on PS4 playing Destiny. You yeah, get yeah. Our clan. It's it's full of really good people with really good politics. Uh, They're fun it's people. A fun it's, game. The game is more fun the more people you can play it with. Definitely. One hundred percent. And uh, yeah, uh, I hope you're I hope you're podcasting again regularly soon. Hopefully, yeah. I've just been doing the guest circuit right now, but uh, hey, why not? Might get a regular thing going again. So <laughs> well, I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me.